everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Melanade Scenes podcast. I'm Tiara, and I'm here to give it to you straight up, raw, no filter. Hey everyone, before uh, this video starts, I wanted to hop on here and give a quick disclaimer. Um, I know some people may watch this and think that this panel is not very inclusive of people from Asia or the APAC region. However, my disclaimer is that there were eight people who were supposed to be on the panel that actually uh, would look more familiar to people as what an Asian person might look like. However, all those people stood me up on two different occasions. So um, I felt it was necessary to continue the panel with the ladies who showed up and still wanted to share their experiences because their experiences matter just as much as anyone else's and I didn't feel like it was right to cancel the panel altogether just because other parties decided not to show up uh, unannounced. Um, so please enjoy the video. I think the um, information that I shared here is still very important and very pertinent and applies to a lot of people. Therefore, we charged forward and it came out to be an amazing panel. So it is not as inclusive as I wanted it to be initially. However, I cannot speak for the people who did not show up and therefore not representing other people within the Asian community. Pacific Islanders showed up and showed out and so did India. So I appreciate them and you're gonna enjoy this panel. So stay tuned. <laughs> Welcome ladies to today's discussion. We are going to be talking about race in the US from the Asia Pacific perspective. And so I would like to know from you ladies, do you guys think that race or racism is an issue within the US? And um, if not, or if so, explain why you think so. And can you also let me know how you think people with backgrounds from the APAC region are treated differently in comparison to maybe white people in the United States. So hi, my name is Cheyenne. Um, I am from Guam. So the indigenous people of the Northern Mariana Islands are Chamorro, um, but specifically I'm from Guam. Um, I think that race is an issue in the US and it's something that, you know, travels throughout everywhere that the US has, in, has laid their footsteps on. So including our island back home and a big part of the racial issues back home that I've experienced is um, just like here, um, people who have darker skin or you know are of African American descent, um, within our culture, if you're darker, they kind of look at you differently or they say you're not as attractive. So, you know, things like that have uh, made an impact on Western civilization has made an impact on you know little islands like us or you know little remote places like that. And the thinking like that, you know, has a big impact on the, you know, the younger growing community. So I would say that race is an issue and it starts here in the US and it does, you know, employ its um, hardships on everybody else in their surrounding communities. It's actually nice, Shan, that you brought up. Uh, I'm actually from an Indian descent. Hi, I'm Isha. Uh, and uh, it's really interesting how much of an impact a fairer skin has on countries like India. Like there are legit fairness creams that are sold out there to actually make you fairer and make you look because that is like being the epitome of being pretty. So if you are fair, that means you're pretty. Uh, nothing else really matters. Like even when I was pregnant, a lot of time what I'd hear is that you should eat this food and you should maybe, you know, do this to make sure that you have a fair daughter. And it just blew my mind off. Like there is so much that she could do in her life that would make her successful. But most of the things that people really cared about is her being fair or, you know, uh, every single time that I get tanned, I get like really bombarded by my family that, you know, you're just not taking care of your skin. It's not good. You should do X, Y, and Z. You should. So, you know, and it's not just about that. That is a culture that goes around the world. And um, when I moved to the U.S. Uh, quite a few years back now, you know, you really think you are moving to this country with, you know, where all your dreams are going to come true. And then you come across these people which 
carry the burden of, of you know, the white supremacy, as they call it. And it's, it's disheartening at that point in time that, you know, you are basically basically giving all your judgments based on the color of my skin and not on my ability to do a job. Um, and, and you see it at a lot of workplaces uh, and at places where you wouldn't even expect it. Like I have been on holidays um, and one of these holidays to be very specific was in Costa Rica. And um, there was this woman who was a doctor's wife from Texas and I just can't forget her because the way she treated me, it was all wrong. But just because it was my first experience with hardcore racism, and I was like, I don't even know what to say. Like, literally, I am more educated than you are. I am do I'm earning a lot more than you are. I am doing anything and everything better than you have ever done in your life. And you know, we have a 25 year age gap between the two of us, but you're still somebody who thinks that your skin color defines you and my skin color defines me. It's why can it just not be equal? Like, how is it that you were handed a silver spoon just because you were born white? So, yeah. But uh, you see it at all different places. You see it, uh, you know, in muted tones. And these are the same people who go, oh, no, we are not racist at all. We will hold up banners uh, when protests come up. And we'll be standing by our side. But when you are in an environment where they want to, like, reiterate that they're white and you're not, they'll do it to their own benefit. Uh, so I do believe I'm same from same place where Cheyenne is from. Uh, tomorrow are the, the native people of Guam. We're not Guamanians. We are tomorrow. just want to set that tone right right now. Um, but I do believe in racism. You know, I witnessed it the first time coming out here to Washington, um, living out in the, the redneck of Royal Washington and being one of five people of color and just noticing how much of a change it was uh, compared to being back on Guam. And um it was very eye-opening at first um i spent the whole year kind of just watching over my back especially in my neighborhood even though my uncle was well known who we were living with we still had to like think about who i was associated with and making sure that i wasn't going to anybody's yards anybody's nothing like that and um i didn't specifically can't really remember my first time I noticed how my well first off being my color when I first got here but not in Roy but when I came out coming out from Roy to then Tacoma and then kind of noticing some things even though like living in Parkland is really diverse and really glad that I got to go to Keithley where I learned more cultures but I realized how much how much people didn't, didn't like us. Like just being here in the States and just being here on their land. And I just never understood it. And I just let it go. And not until I really got older, you know, like, wow. Oh, but I did want to add to what Isha said. Um, you know, when me and my my husband is African American, so that when we do want to travel or we do plan on taking vacations, he's always like, "Well, we have to check, you know, the diversity there before we go there." And you know, like in the beginning, I was just kind of ignorant to that, like, "Yeah, but you know, there's nice people out in the world; they'll be okay." But then when we went to Oregon for school, we didn't do too much of research on how things would be when we would get get there. So one time we were walking down the street and we literally got called the N-word when we were walking to our dorm and we we're just like, wow. So that's kind of a, one of the reasons why we moved back here from doing our first year at wow. University of Oregon. But after that, I was just like, yeah, we need to see how, how many other people like us actually travel there before we're there because we want to have, you know, a good time, but also be comfortable and not have to worry about 
who's looking right. at this? What's going to happen if we go back to our room? So that's yeah, definitely yeah. something that I always have to look, or, you know, people of our background have to search, you know, when we go places, because oftentimes I have, you know, usual white friends that say, oh, you guys should go here or try this. And usually in the back of our heads, we're, I mean, in front of them, we'll say, oh, yeah, that's good. But in the back of our heads, when we get home, we'll be like, we gotta look no really yeah absolutely i completely hear you there and that's the truth you know like we have to do stuff like that exactly they'll just offhandedly comment on something that you know you wouldn't know this but this is how we do it in the u.s and i'm like excuse me that has nothing to do with me being an asian or me being an indian like really uh it's just one of those things like one of these times what I remember is you know just an offhanded comment that yeah all Indians are mostly intelligent because you study so much your parents force you into it excuse me just because most of the Indians are doing well in life and they are the top of companies like Google and Microsoft that doesn't mean our parents had to force us into it yes we had a lot of competition in our country yes we had to work really hard for what we achieved but why are you taking that away from us? Like, that's not something to make a joke about. Like, why is that a joke for you? Like, yes, it is a country of a population with over a billion. I was, everything that I got in life was really hard earned. And no, I don't want to make a joke about it. Yeah. And, you know, being Islander, a lot of times we get, you know, put in with like the Asian community, which is not a problem. You know, we, it's, you know, something that, you just have to learn throughout life but a lot of times like I did really well in school I thought I was a pretty smart kid but when I would do good or I would have good test scores people would be like oh it's the Asian in you but exactly. really it's I'm not Asian I'm Pacific Islander and you know I take pride in where I come from because our people are not you know well known and Absolutely. I feel like we contributed a lot to the U.S. during you know their war times but you know you can't blame, blame them for their ignorance because it wasn't taught to them so I always take the time to teach people when they don't know and if they're willing to listen. But yeah, you learn something new every day and it's just, you just hope that people are as open-minded as you'd hope them, you know, you'd wish them to be. Most of the time, yeah, they are not and you yeah. can't expect them to be. It's, it's just one of those things that, you know, yeah, you had to come here because you did not have enough opportunities in your country. No, that's not yeah. true. You've not been to India uh yes i have more opportunities here uh yes maybe i came here for a better life but that doesn't mean it is one of those godforsaken countries that's still suffering from malaria you know yeah. get over that image it, that you have like just that. go travel outside us just do your research before you know you point fingers at others and you yeah. know call names and say that you know you're just because of your skin color and that's the reason why you're smart that's the reason why you have everything that you have yes if it's a positive it's bad if it's a negative it's bad obviously but you know yeah <laughs> I really don't know how to then argue the same problem. So, yeah. right and when you, you just learn to live with it Right. But I think one thing that I kind of disagree with you guys on is when you're saying, oh, they don't know. And it's like, well, if they want to keep preaching that there's the superior race. Yeah. Why the fuck do you then? I'm, I'm, how do you not know? Aren't you, aren't you smarter? Aren't you better? Yeah. Aren't you all yeah. better? Yeah. Yeah. Then why do you know? So for me, I don't give people like that a pass and say, well, they just don't know. No, they're claiming to be all of these great things. So I'm, I'm going to need you to have an education then. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you want to say to me or my group of people and assume that you are better or you're superior, but then at the same time, you don't know shit. Yeah. You need to have, you need to have the education. You need to be well-traveled. You need to know these things before you think you can just have an opinion on everybody else's life. And I, I think that's something too that's taught at home when you when you're coming from a different country to the U.S. is they don't know, and you're supposed to have that saying like give them that excuse when really, like you said, we shouldn't because they should know better if they're going to be claiming all that. So, yeah, yeah. When you hear it from a you know your perspective and you hear how we sound, it's like yeah, that's true. Like why do we have to keep making excuses for some you know someone like that from you know, where we come from, why do we have to always have, you know, oh, it's okay, just let it slide when, when it's us, 
it's not the same thing. Yeah. I actually have a very interesting story about that. So uh, this is like years back. I was still in school. Uh, I was doing my pre-med at that time. So yeah, I've been at a lot of <laughs> done a lot of different things. And um, so one of my uncles, uh, his daughter is the same age as me. He took us to a career fair where uh, all these uh, European universities were there to woo you know, students from India, because obviously they want our money, but they don't want our color there. Uh, but again, so there were a lot of, um, from an Indian perspective, uh, whites and blacks who had come to the country for this career fair. Uh, there were a lot of booths which were set up uh, with all the universities there. And uh, this uncle, uh, he's, he's standing at one of the stalls. He is talking super nicely and I, I have never seen him being this nice. Um, it's obviously a white woman standing in front of him. Uh, the next stall we go to, there's a black guy who's there. He's trying to explain. He's like, no, 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 we don't want to come to this university. Uh, equally weighted universities, uh, no big difference. And uh, I was still a young kid at that point in time. And I was like, what was the difference, you know? I was equally interested in the other universities. And he was like, did you see the first woman? Uh, she she spoke such good English. I was like, that's her native language. So, you know, she will obviously speak English like the way you do, you know, you talk in your native language. And as far as I understood, the guy was as good in his English. So, you know, he just did not want to say it outright that even being an Indian, he had this bias in his own head where he thought that the whites are more superior and you have to respect them. And I'm like, no, if you, if you do that, what are you like really doing? And like, you're a kid, you won't understand. And I'm like, no, but I really don't. You'll have to explain that to me. Like, I, I don't understand this. Why did you do this? Like, I was equally interested in both the universities uh but yeah it was uh it was it was just one of the eye-opening experiences for me where, and I still remember it today and I'm like I just don't know why he did that but you know in India you are brought up with that mindset that maybe those people because you the, the country was under the British rule for you know over 150 years there is that innate bias in your head where you think that you know, the color of the skin defines you. You'll be a slave till the time you believe you're a slave. Okay, so second question for you ladies is, do either of you remember the first time someone pointed out that you were Indian or that you were Cheyenne Asian? Because that's probably what they said you were. They probably didn't say that you were Chamorro, that you were Guamanian. Um, do you guys remember the first time someone pointed that out? And I know Isha, you didn't grow, you weren't born in the U.S. So was it something that happened once you got here that someone's pointing out that you're different? It actually happened to me back in India. I had, uh, two of my colleagues, uh, uh, one of them was an American, but working in Hong Kong and one was from Hong Kong who is, uh, who, who had come to India for, uh, meetings and, uh, you know, I was just spending a lot of time with them and, uh, you know, we'd spoken over the phone uh, a million times uh, and he's like, uh, Isha, you're really good at your work and, and uh, you know, you have such good command over your English. Uh, do all the people in India have that? Like, Indians don't, don't generally have a good command over their, you know, language. How do you have that? And I was like, most of us actually go to English medium schools. Like literally the way we are taught is my English would be better than my Hindi most of the times. And I am switching between the two languages most of the times. I don't even realize it. My parents made sure that when I was growing up, it was one of the primary languages that they spoke. So like, I, I, I really don't have the words to explain to you that, you know, you even though you are praising me in your own convoluted way, but you are insulting me and my country at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely a, a backhanded compliment. It's not, that, yeah. it's not a compliment. That's some bullshit. What does he mean by command over the English language? Like, you, does he, is he saying that you don't really have a thick Indian accent when you're speaking? Yeah. Was he yeah. saying 
that. Basically. Realize that you know, like, uh, a vast vocabulary in you. No, my vocabulary is better than his. It was, is what he was wanted to say that, you know, you're using nicer words, uh, you have better grammar. And I'm like, yeah, because it, there was a lot of emphasis that was laid on it. Even the worst of schools in India would be doing that because it is just stated that, you know, and, and it is a global language. It is spoken by the maximum number of people. So it is important of a language to know for, you know, for people who come from countries where it is not the primary spoken language. But yes, they have to work hard to know that language, but they are doing that and just take it, you know, uh, with a pinch of salt that maybe they are doing a better job at it and they are teaching grammar in a way which is better than you yourself learn grammar now. So, you know, just one of those things. So the first time, the first taste of racism, I actually got it in my own country. Um, so my first um, time that I was told that I looked different or I am different from everybody was actually when I did move out here from Guam. Um, one of the first schools I attended was out in Roy, Washington. So a similar story to Candace's. Um, so um, it was show and tell. And because I knew I was different and I, I took pride in what it were I'm from, I brought a flag from the island of Guam. And one of the students there said, oh yeah, she's not from here. And I'm, you know, like before you go up to do your presentation, it's kind of like, oh, you knew that already? And you know, it's a culture shock thing for me too. Cause I was like, oh wow you know, I'm here to show you and represent, you know, where I'm from and give you some insight because I thought you'd be interested in it. But then when you hear a remark like that, it's almost like you want to just go sit back down at your desk and shove your flag to the bottom of your backpack and never talk about it again. So I would say that's one of the times that I was told that I look different or I am different from everybody in the classroom. And it started with one of the little kids and here in Washington was my first time hearing that. Cheyenne, when did you uh, come here from Guam? Um, it was in 2002. So I've been out here for a while, but um, I was born and raised there for a while and then moved out here. And most of my family is back home. So we do, we are really, you know, still connected and we do travel back here and there. Okay, so piggybacking off of the first question, do you guys have any experiences in school where you've experienced racism from peers, teachers, or both? Um, let's start with like grade school and then um, go into college experiences. Isha, since you're gonna be speaking from being in India, I don't know if it's called racism or if it's called prejudice uh, based off of skin color, since you said that colorism is a huge thing in India. Like, do you remember um, any kind of experiences with those from peers, teachers, or both? Uh, I did not do my education here. So all my education, my college, my undergrad, my MBA, Tennessee CFAL, so it was back in India. I moved here via when I had already started working. So uh, most of my experiences come from work. So yeah, but that's the first time I was really made aware of my color. And back in India, it was, um, I belong to one of the areas which has fairer skin, and that's the reason why I got endowed with it. Uh, so, you know, the whole color thing got entrenched in me, and, and the idea of it, how people actually feel because of a darker color, is something that I realized only after I. I came here like I used to look down upon those advertisements on the television and you know everywhere in the media back in India that you know yeah get fairer skin apply this for 10 days and you'll have a fairer skin I was like why do they do this why do people need to care about it and once I got here is I realized why they have to do it because you know it just basically differentiates you from the other people right away how about you Cheyenne so yeah, like I mentioned before, when I first moved out here in grade school, so elementary school, I experienced that. And then middle through high school um, is when I moved out to FP district. And it wasn't really like uh, teachers that would point it out. It was just be the constant like, because like I mentioned before, I thought I did pretty well in school and I thought it really highly of myself when it came to grades because I always tried to do good. But every time I did do good or I would pass tests and others in class wouldn't, 
you know, they'd always say, oh, it's because you're Asian. And, you know, constantly I'd always have to say, or, you know, just be, be quiet and just be like, it's okay. It's another one of those people that just don't know. So just those remarks. But um, recently when I was telling my sister that I was coming on this talk to talk about things like this, she had mentioned something about her experience in elementary school. Um, they were learning about um, green cards and what places would need that to come here. And so she raised her hand and I think she was maybe in like first or second grade. And um, she told her teacher she's from Guam and the teacher said, oh yeah, you probably need a green card. You just didn't know that. So um, yeah, I told her, you know, that was probably pretty hard for you to hear when you're that young. She's like, yeah, cause I felt, felt so different from everybody. And I felt like everybody during that class, during the class period was, you know, gonna look at me different after that. And from my perspective as an adult now, I was just thinking like, how can you say something like that to a little kid that you're teaching about history and you don't even know the history of the U.S. that you're teaching because Guam is a U.S. territory so we have all the same rights as Americans except for being able to vote for the president and some other things but that's one of the main ones but we don't need a green card uh, we do get a social security card a birth certificate and it's all stamped with the U.S. symbol so hearing that she, was, she went home and told my mom and she was like you know that's sad that she had to hear that, but again, with the excuse, they didn't know, which she should have. Dang. So, and then trying when you went to college, you said that you moved to Oregon, and it was a whole nother ball game. So, do you have one other like example from going to college in Oregon? Uh, oh, so yeah, uh, me and my husband went to college in Oregon for our freshman year, and um, wasn't personally me but him every time we'd go anywhere or we'd walk around campus because he's african-american the first question was are you on the football team and constantly i just look at him like you can't be smart and just go to school why do you have to have, be here on a sports scholarship you know like it's good that you know people of his descent are like talented and they're you know they can go on and pursue things like that but he wasn't ever you know that big into sports he liked you know be doing good in school so when he made it there he thought highly of it and you know he was very proud but every time we'd hear that we were just like why does he have to be on the football team you know like because he's african-american that shouldn't be the reason why any other african-american student is here because of a sports thing and that's one of the big issues that we ran into when we were out there in Oregon. yeah it is it's like oh it can't be a scholarship based off of merit and his grades it's He's one of the, what they call it, it's either sports or it's affirmative action. Oh, the black person is here because they got here. Uh, oh, you got it. Yeah, there's a yeah. or they play sports. They're not smart, but they're here because they play sports. And they're going to help us win games, which is ridiculous. Yeah, like literally like on campus and even when we go out, you know, anywhere, they, the first thing they say was, oh, are you on the football team? What number are you? And we're just like, no, we're just regular college students. So, yeah, that was our college experience. Um, and so, Isha, you said that when you came here and you started to experience racism, it was mostly in the workplace. And so I'm wondering how race shows up in you guys' everyday lives uh, outside of work and then also within the workplace. Can you share an experience where you've had a racist encounter or some type of microaggressions and it had to do with your race? Uh, one of these times, so my work and, and Tara, as you know it, I am in a lot of these meetings uh, which end up being sexist and racist for me a lot, a lot of times um, uh, because finance, again, is, you know, the man's word, letting girls can't do numbers, but that's a different story altogether. Uh, but again, there would be a lot of times that, you know, there is people don't really see there's somebody intelligent who's sitting across from them on the table. And uh, what my work involves is asking a lot of questions. A lot of times I'd be speaking to CEOs of big companies and, you know, I'm the primary analyst on them and have to ask the difficult questions or give them the difficult news of around, you know, that we don't really think that you're doing that well. And, uh, you know, one of these times, one of the CEOs, Every single time I asked him a question, he wouldn't look back at me and answer. He'd look at, you know, the other men and other white people sitting in the room. And I'm like, it is disheartening, you know, because I've prepared for this, this meeting. I've prepared for weeks to make sure that I have the best questions for you. 
and you know just don't pass them offhandedly and say that you know oh yeah that's not important or you know and and that wasn't the one off experience that happened a couple of times where it's like they wouldn't look at me directly as if looking at somebody else would you know make them more off a white or a man just because they're doing that but yeah a lot of times that's what I felt that they really felt that our stature would reduce by quite a lot if we answer her directly because they had a problem with it and yeah so that's at the workplace outside the workplace uh, people generally have to talk to me about uh, the Indian curry and what's the masala that they're supposed to use to have their curry the way you know the Indians make it uh, second is the whole arranged marriage thing that, yeah, you can't really choose who you marry, right? Dude, you have your websites where you meet guys and you meet girls. How is an arranged marriage any different from that? And even if it is, I have an arranged marriage and I am more than happy with my husband. And, and you know, that doesn't mean that we don't love each other or we did not get a chance to date each other for a long enough time before we decided to, you know, be married. Just because our parents get along with each other doesn't make it any less important. And the third, obviously, is, oh, yeah, your parents will always live with you, you know, because so, so the fact that we love our parents and the fact that we respect our parents and, you know, we let them live along with us when they get old and we are ready to take care of them makes us, you know, more primary humans as against the more complicated people that you are I, I will never understand that so you know yes the next time you're asking me a curry question there are more than a million curries that come from India and no there's not a single masala that I can give you that will make every one of your curries tasty and we are just not paneer and dal makhani I'm sorry All right, Shai, let's get back in some more of these questions. This is just going to be a talk about the Pacific Islander perspective then. Okay. Okay, Shai, okay, so fast forwarding into adulthood, how does racism show up in your everyday life? So um, I think just being a brown person in the U.S. Um, and, you know, people of, or the white people in the U.S., they're not really educated on the different types of brown people they are. So anywhere you go, you know, like even a walk in the neighborhood, um, you know, you'll get stares from, you know, the white older people like, oh, what is she? And with everything um, going on, you know, in the U.S. right now, the protests and then like, you know, a couple months back with the Trump wall wanting to be built in the border, you know, you kind of get a whole bunch of stares from, you know, anybody from the young and old. Um, white people in the neighborhood, especially like walking in our community. Um, when I go to certain stores in certain, you know, districts or like out, even out to university place, I feel like I shouldn't be going to the Whole Foods there or the Trader Joe's there, but we love stuff there. So we go there. So yeah, I think just anywhere you go now with everything going on, I know it's not new, racism isn't new. It's just the media coverage on it. So, you know, people like us were more prone to, be, you know, approach something so I'm always making sure that I'm aware of my surroundings when the kids are with me making sure we have a buddy system because you know anything can happen and you know when the kids are young you know everything they see in life is positive and then there's this, the one encounter that they'll run into when they go to the store like um where are you and you know who are you with here with let me see your pockets you know things like that that'll just you know take away their innocence and that's how you know the racism or the you know the evil cycle of that continues so and I've been a part of that too you know just walking into the store and right when I get in there they're already following me down the aisles and I'm just like I'm here to shop and you know give me a chance to at least walk in the store before you start profiling me or even when I go to Walmart you know for a quick stop to get the baby pampers I'll see you know other people walking out or you know, white people walking out and their receipts not being checked. And then when I have my one item and my one receipt in my hand, I already know to just walk over to them because instead of making a big scene and saying, why are you checking mine and not theirs, just get it over and done with. And that's another excuse, you know, that we give to, you know, the ignorance that happens. So, yeah. Question for you, Cheyenne. So does this happen, so like the profiling, does this happen 
when you're with TJ since he's black or does this happen when you're also by yourself? Because I'm wondering, are they following you? Are they looking at you weird when you're with a black dude or do they do it to you even when you're not with TJ? So yeah, the instances that I did bring up was just me by myself walking in. Um, but of course it's happened with him, you know, too. And me having to say, of course, is a horrible thing. But yes, it has happened with both of us. But it did happen. It does happen when it's just me or me and my sisters when we're walking in, you know. So, you know, I've kind of told them, like, just like any other parent, just be quiet, pick your battles, you know, learn how to just use your proper, you know, self when you're put in those situations. And it's sad that you have to do those, talk to your, you know, tell your family that. But it's something that you have to know in order to survive in the world, you know, the world that's set up for us. All right. That's crazy. Like it, I feel like through all these videos, it's been sounding like anybody whose skin is brown, they basically have the same experiences. And that's why it's so crazy to me when like black and other brown groups of people don't get along or don't get along. Yeah. Don't get along. Or uh, one group is trying to be racist against black people. And it's like, the same exact treatment so why are you not more inclined to connect with black people and if we build this coalition together of all black and brown people there's way more black and brown people than there are white people there are more brown people than there are white people and if we account yeah people, there are more black people than there are anything so it's like it's just crazy to me when i think about yeah want to separate themselves all the time from anybody who's darker skin but through all of these videos everybody who is brown skin has literally almost the same exact experience it's crazy yeah and I don't know if it's a pride thing or what but even like it's sad to say that I have family members too that like they say things like based off the color of your skin so the darker you are you know you're you know not as cute or it's not a good thing to be so yeah it's definitely something that's western culture has affected you know people of my descent especially because there's a lot um the u.s troops or the military takes up about 30 percent of our small island to begin with so it's a, it's a crazy thing that they have on us yeah so cheyenne how does racism show up for you in the workplace so the biggest or the most significant time that it happened to me was when I was a lead um, office worker at one of the uh, the hospitals in Seattle, sorry. Um, I was getting ready to do a presentation and there's gonna be higher up people there. So the, the director at the time of the transplant place I was working at, he was um, Asian. So when I was getting ready to go up, he's like, you know, you do really good for the Asian culture. You know, us Asians, we have to stick together. So I was just like, it's another example of, you know, U.S. education not giving the full background or, you know, detail to, you know, people. So when he said that, I was kind of like, you know, I corrected him. I was like, well, I'm from Guam, you know, that specific island. I'm not Asian. He's like, yeah, it's the same thing. But really, it's, you know, it's not. And it's the struggle we have to fight with all, you know, every day. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, them saying that, I guess, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong with being Asian. But, you know, when we fought for, you know, certain rights and we've, our people have been through so much struggle. You want to make sure that people know that you're your own, you know, significant being. And I feel like that's something that the U.S. doesn't teach or uh, make significant in the education system. And every time I run into people like that, I just always, you know, I'm just like, whatever. It's not them. It's just how they were taught. And that's one thing in the textbooks that they did not include. I think Guam's only mentioned like in a little paragraph in U.S. history, like in high school. So, yeah. anything you already know, you uh, the education system here doesn't tell the truth about anything. It doesn't even tell the truth about what white people are doing. Exactly. That white people wanted to tell, not what actually happened. So, exactly. So, who do they always tell you about? Martin Luther King. I'm sorry, he's not the only person. Who did anything during civil rights but that is the only person to talk about because he was the most palatable because he chose yeah. non-force you don't see them telling people and teaching you about malcolm x because they yeah they're not for somebody who is not trying to do stuff in a way that makes them more comfortable well we feel comfortable sharing martin luther king's story part of it because yeah it wasn't 
you know, if I can turn the other rainbows and butterflies. It wasn't all that, no. Right, but they you know, they tell the the story of how they want to tell it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's crazy too, because like growing up in Guam, so we have to do the Pledge of Allegiance, the Star Spangled Banner. Then we have our own, you know, our allegiance to Guam, and then we have our own version of our um, Star Spangled Banner and all that. And it's funny because when you're out there, you have to do it because we respect the U.S. and we give them gratitude for everything they've done. And then when you come out here, you get a lot of the students didn't even know how to say, you know, do the Star Spangled Banner and the Pledge of Allegiance. So it was crazy to me. You know, like little kid coming from the Guam, you know, Guam, like, why do we have to do that? And you guys don't have to. And we're, you know, a foreign, you know, a foreign place to you guys, you know, like, it just shows you how much dominance or, you know, precedence they have over us. And, you know, what they teach out here is probably the same thing that they do back home, but we have to just take it the way they want us to see it, like you said, and we're just nobodies, I guess. <laughs> The other part that's crazy to me too though is just like with Guam and Puerto Rico like you guys have all the rights of the United States except you can't vote. I'm sorry they don't have fucking rights then. Like you guys don't have a say in anything that goes on meanwhile they're fucking telling you guys in your country what you are and are not gonna do. Like yes, exactly. That's a big thing right yeah that's a big thing right now that a lot of the young Guamanian or Chamorro people are doing back home they're, want, they're wanting to decolonize so, you know, remove the U.S. Um, from there, which I think is a good thing to do, but we also do support, uh, get a lot of support from the U.S., but I know that just like back in the day before the U.S. was there, we'll be able to make it happen again, um, but it does have a lot of tension right now, especially with the protests going on here. It's really, really, like, riled people up back home to want to stand up and, you know, make changes, which is good, but like my grandmother and people of the older generation who grew up with the military, they're kind of against it. But that's definitely something we want to end, you know, because we shouldn't want to, you know, take away from our culture and our land to, you know, uh, make someone else profit or benefit from it. We should want to continue to teach our kids to carry on our legacies and make sure that, you know, it's here for my kids and the kids after them to enjoy and experience. Right. So Cheyenne, are people from Guam able to be in like military forces? They can be in the military? Yes, they can. And I think um, even though we're like a really small island, we contribute to a lot of the um, enlisted people. Um, I have four half brothers, so a total of five brothers and three of the five are all in the military. And it goes to show how much of a commitment we are to the US and how much of an impact they have on us. And that's one thing that they push for back home. Um, and something that I know that's different from when I came out here, which I'm kind of glad that I got to uh, experience it is, if you grow up back home, they kind of tell you, just join the military, get off, get off the island, experience the world, that's all you can do. But when you're out here, you know, they push for you to be, you know, like when you're with your peers, you know, you learn from them that college and there's trades that you can go to so you don't have to go, you know, go through the military. So a lot of the uh, Chamorro men sign their lives to the military. And sometimes when I hear my brother's stories, I'm just like, you know, you're smart. You didn't have to do that. But of course, that's the agenda that they have set up for us back home to serve the U.S. <laughs> All right. It's and I asked because I, I was almost certain that you guys are able to, but to me, it's like, you can die for the United States, but you're not allowed to vote. Like, yeah. sorry, this is a fucking joke. All they do is try to get black and brown people from all different backgrounds, fight wars that these old white people be starting. You start the wars, then you want black and brown people to fight them so you can be more But then places like Puerto Rico, Guam, they can't vote. A bunch of black men cannot vote because how they're doing yeah. their, their prison pipeline shit that they're always doing. So yeah, a bunch of black and brown people are stripped of rights, but at the same time, it's okay. You can you can still fight the war for us. You can go die for us. All of this type of bullshit. And it's basic human rights. We should be able to you know have a say of who's gonna be dictating us. You know, right. Um, yeah, so if, if, if the president comes office and start a war and make the Chamorro people go to war because he decided to, why are you not allowed to to vote for the person who's going to be in office saying whether or not you're going to war? Exactly. Damn sense. 
and that's the stigma, you know, Chamorro people, or, you know, of other people that are, you know, U.S. territories. Like, we're, I just feel like I'm a, you know, a pawn in all of it, you know, like, we're just here for their benefit, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, so, uh, rewinding back to work, um, do you code switch at work, Cheyenne? Like, do you change the way that you talk, you know, so you can be more palatable or make, you know, different groups of people, most of the time it's white people, feel more comfortable? Um, do you code switch and why? Yeah, and it is like you said to make other people feel comfortable or for me to sound more educated, I guess. But you know, you shouldn't have to do that if that's my the way I talk and I'm just as smart as you, I should be able to talk the way I talk. But yeah, it's definitely something that I do at work, you know, when I'm in my office with my friend who's also Islander, we have our, you know, our regular comfortable voice but then as soon as someone comes knocking at the door that's in a white coat or is white you know it's all it's the hello you know like the etiquette voice I guess I don't know but yeah that's that definitely does happen and it's funny that you bring that up but I yeah it does happen (laughs) (laughs) and I feel like you're just more heard when you change and you match their tone and their you know their language or how they talk and I feel like it's more heard, I guess, especially when you're not of the same color as them, because when you walk in, you're automatically, you know, just different. Right. They automatically assume that you'll be less educated or something. To help something, you know, like, oh, they're just here to grab some coffee or something. Right. <laughs> you know what is crazy, though? I feel like a lot of the times the people of color are actually the ones that are more educated. Um, if you go and look at somebody's resume or their, you know, how many degrees they have, I feel like most black people that I know that have degrees and then I go to work and I find out, okay, I'm in corporate America thinking before I went there, I'd have to have so many things on my resume, you know, to show that I'm worthy to be in here because there's such great people here. And then I went and then certain stuff I was doing, I'm like, I have a degree and a whole bunch of these white bitches don't have a degree. Yeah. And I think that's something, yeah. And it's just something that we always are told like, oh, I have to have this because you know that in order for me to get this high, I have to be a certain way. Or like you said, when you look at someone's resume, I know off the top, they already look at your name and they're like, oh, they're different. Or, you know, oh, they're African-American or oh, they're brown. So, you know, they're already judging right off a piece of paper, black and white paper before they even see you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I was naive going into corporate America. I was like, oh, well, that's good. I have my degree. I have this, I have that, mm-hmm. whatever. And I started meeting people. I'm like, what? And they were giving me such a hard time to get in here. Like, I don't know. It was just ridiculous. And then the racism within corporate America is also a joke where I was thinking, oh, well, I'm going to be in a place where there are a lot more educated people who have more money, which means they have the means to go travel. And so they know better, hopefully. More cultured. And it's just like, no, yes, they travel, but they travel for the purposes of just pleasure for themselves. Uh, and then they come back and they don't give a fuck about the people that uh, live in the places that they just came and visited from. Yeah, it's crazy. And blah, blah. And then it's like, but you treat people who look like those people at work like shit. Right. How does that make it make sense? Make it make sense. No, no. That happened to me. In the position now, the my director, I guess she started off in valet, then she worked her way up, and then I think she got the position now, or was able to move to it because the person before her liked her because she looked like her daughter. And I'm just like, I'm sitting here with a master's, and then, you know, like, I'm thinking that I have to only apply to these certain positions because I don't meet the criteria. Then you have people that look like your redheaded, freckled daughter, face daughter getting positions because you like her like that. You know, it's crazy. A, a fucking joke actually <laughs> so. yeah. I'm constantly laughing at work or like you know just in my head like oh my god I can't wait to go home and tell TJ about this you know like things like that you're like oh my god <laughs> yeah and it's funny but then at the same time then it's like but it sucks though because this person getting paid more money than me and I've done way more work than they have to get to this point but you know because they look like someone's daughter they make 20 yeah 
that's a joke. Yeah, but it makes you want to like work harder and stay in your position longer so that you're able to say, well, I did this because, you know, I made, I made my way. So it's nice that we're able to do that, but it's also sucks that we have to go through so many hoops and obstacles to get where we are. Right. But it definitely, you know, molds us into the people we are today and, you know, the strong-minded, independent lady that you are and the things that you're doing, you know. Really so, Cheyenne, with kids, because I know you have a son, um, do you, you and TJ plan on having, like, race conversations with him uh, when he gets a little bigger? And do you remember if your parents had, like, race conversations with you guys once you guys came to the U.S.? Or... Or did they not have the conversations with you guys, you and your sisters or your sister? Um, my mom didn't. I think I just learned on my own that there's certain things in life that I'm going to have to go through where I have to say things a certain way or do things a certain way because of where I'm from. Um, and then as far as my son, with everything happening now, even before this, I did want know and feel that I, we had to have the conversation with him, which is sad, but... I want to be able to make sure that he makes the right decisions or he does the right things when I'm not around. And I think that in today's society, you can't, you, you're going to have to do it, whether you like it or not, or if you're oblivious to what's happening. If you're a person of color, black, brown, whatever, you have to have a talk with your kids. Um, we already have a, the talk with my younger sister, who's 10. She does sometimes go out in the neighborhood and some of her friends are of different, yeah, they're white or whatever. But I always make sure to let her know, like, you know, when they say things, just come back or, you know, like if you're not comfortable or they're saying things to you or acting a certain way, like their parents or, you know, whatever, come back home and, you know, we'll talk about it. Or if you don't feel comfortable, make sure you let us know. I do tell her how to, you know, like if someone's approaching you, like stranger danger things, you know, just be aware of things and make sure that you tell us what's going on because I want to be able to talk through, through with them because a lot of times kids will hold that burden in them like oh I'm the problem and I don't want them to walk around thinking that because they're not it's the ignorance that you know other people have towards them or you know feel their way so and, and you know kids know sometimes parents are like oh it's too early but it's I don't think it's ever too early the, the earlier and more aware they are the better it is for you and them I think so too I don't have any kids yet as you already know but <laughs> Clearly, I'm going to have to be having some conversations, especially if it's a boy. That's yeah. a whole other situation of, like, level of safety um, than it is with girls, I think, anyways. Yeah. And even with TJ2 now, you know, with everything going on, I'm usually the one that leaves the house to do stuff because I don't want him to be in danger or whatever and I feel like I have to be the one to go out so whenever we need like groceries or whatever I'm just like I'll just go you guys stay home I'll do it you know so that's one thing that we've changed in the house and I know that's something that we're gonna have to you know have a new routine about if you know things get worse which I hope they don't but you never know with times like this and one thing that I like to uh, teach the kids too is if you see it and it's not happening to you you have to speak up you know because if you're going through it and you look around and other people aren't stepping in for you, you don't want to feel, you know how, you don't want to have to feel alone in those situations. So I make sure to tell them, you know, if you hear something or you see something and you know it's not right, you can stick up and say something, make sure the person's okay. And then, you know, if I'm there, then, you know, have me come over there and help you guys. But just try and be the, be the good person out of all the situations you're in. I agree with that too, because um, I know me and my husband have uh, conversations about this a lot and um, we watch a lot of stuff and you see a lot more black people stepping in when injustices are happening against other groups of people, but you don't really see other groups of people really stepping up when they see somebody doing something to black people. Yeah, whenever I see something wrong, I usually speak up or I try and help the person. So like, especially, but especially now with everything going on, I kind of feel like I'm on radar when it's like people that are African-American. I tend to like, if it's like a mom and her kid in the store, I'll make sure that I know like where they're at because if someone wants to say something, some, something to them, I speak up for them. Me being, you know, brown too, I feel like if it was me, I'd hope someone would help step in for me too. So I know that's just one of the things that me and my sisters have really been big on. But, you know, I'm just like, this is the time to start speaking up. Like, we need to be able to tell people they're wrong when they're wrong. We want to do our part. So, so Cheyenne, how do you think, 
like the experiences of Pacific Islander people in the United States uh, kind of manifest within you guys' community. So how do you think Tremoro people, Pacific Islander people cope with the treatment that they get from um, people in the United States? Well, I'll tell you that a lot of the older generation feel like they're superior for some reason because of the, you know, like the war. So they don't even think they're low on the totem pole like the African-American people. But oftentimes I have to remind, you know, like my grandmother or other brown people, like if you're not white and they don't like you, you know, you're just as bad as how they view the African-American people. So I think the older generation is stuck on, oh, we're, we're not, they don't see us like that. We're just as good as them. And then, you know, the younger kids that are experiencing it now are just like, no, you're not realizing that you're missing these points and we're suffering because you didn't notice this later on. And um, I think the way that we're coping with it is like I mentioned earlier, um, a lot of the younger generation are trying to fight back against like um, the US wanting to put more military um, training lands in Guam. So they're really um, protesting and going out there and speaking up. And um, there's a lot of um, support with the Black Lives Matter movement. So um, they're realizing that, you know, if it's not white, it's us. I know locally, um, there was a Pacific Islander protest that happened. They also did a, a peace walk for the Black Lives Matter movement because, you know, us younger people are realizing that, like you said earlier, you know, black and brown people need to get along better and not be against, against each other because we need to have each other's back in times like this so yeah are there any um known sicknesses that guam is known for so like when i think of puerto rico or something like this i know that because of colonialism like a lot of them have very bad like health diabetes, this kind of thing, because they weren't allowed to eat from their land. They're only allowed to produce it. So then white people could ship it and make money from it. And so I'm thinking the treatment of people in Puerto Rico, because it's another island, I'm trying to see if there's a, if there's any similarities. Has there been any downsides or consequences to that to the indigenous people of that land there? And how are people dealing with that? Oh yeah, so back home, a lot of the very popular dishes that we, or things that we like to eat are like salt, very salted and processed foods. So like corned beef and spam and Portuguese sausage and Chamorro sausage. And it's all because these things were imported to us during World War II when the US um, was taking over the island. And because we weren't able to, you know, um, grow our own foods like we did before, we had to get things shipped to us. And I think I remember watching a video that my grandfather had sent to us during the war where like the US had literal para parachutes of like food, uh, food supply boxes dropping on the island and our people just waiting for it coming down from the skies. And it's kind of sad because one time when I went to a doctor's appointment when I was younger, you know, I, I'm on the heavier side. So me and my mom walked in and she was like, oh yeah, you're you're gonna get diabetes you're pacific islander you're you're bound to get it and my mom was like well i don't have it and i'm you know i go to my regular doctor's appointments and of course i'm heftier too so the doctor was like well i'll be back with paperwork and this and that and after that my mom was like that was pretty ignorant and you shouldn't say that to people just because of where they're from so we never went back to that doctor again <laughs> but that's definitely a stigmatism that we walk around with you know and it's also like we like to eat rice breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and, you know, every time I go to a doctor's appointment, they're like, well, no more starches. It's just like, how, when that's the thing that we were told to eat, you know, when we were, you know, in those times, and those are the things that we incorporate now into our dishes, because that's what we know. It's passed down from generation to generation, so, and, you know, when you try to tell these older people to change it, they kind of take it as an insult, because this is the way I've been doing it, and, you know, I don't know anything else, so that's definitely something that has impacted the island, our diet, because of how we were treated during the war, um, those things have stuck with us and those are the things that we've incorporated into our everyday diet and what we deem as essential to our, you know, food intake. And so in addition to that, what are some things that you think people from Guam struggle with because of, you know, the U.S. infiltrating you guys' island? 
Um, a lot, like I said before, like a lot of back home, what they say is like, if you're dark, you're not pretty or you're not as attractive or it's not a good thing to have. So that's definitely something that's been said to me, like since I was younger, because I'm on the darker side and being Romanian or Chamorro, um, you know, don't be out in the sun or you need to put more sunscreen on or don't take the baby out because it's going to get too dark or, you know, things like that. And that's definitely something that Western culture has, you know, impacted us on because before, you know, the U.S. landed there, I'm pretty sure we were all dark and we didn't have a problem with how we looked. So that's something that I, you know, I think me and my sisters have struggled, struggled with mentally. So I think that's a mental thing that we deal with all the time, trying to look like our superior U.S., you know, leadership or people that came and told us how to eat and look. And that's something that is probably going to continue because I hear it still to this day. And are Pacific Islander people, in your opinion, treated differently than people from Asia, Asian people, like someone who's Chinese, Japanese, or Korean, or whatever? Yeah, um, there's a lot of Japanese and Korean in Guam. There's a lot of diversity in Guam, too, but um, there are a lot of the store owners and things like that. So um, I think they do kind of look down on us, too, sometimes when we go in the store, they think we're going to still the same stigmas as if you're a dark person here in the U.S. and you go into a store, they automatically think you're going to do something bad. But I think it's the same back home. Oh, damn, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's crazy because we're also um, occupied by the Japanese before the U.S. was there. And um, that's one thing that I, I think a lot of Chamorros think, too, that the Japanese is like the best Asian culture and we support them so much. But then when I think about it, I'm like, they're the ones that, kind of enslaved us and occupied us for a while. So I don't know why we look to them to be so superior. So that's a different, uh, definitely a thinking that I always thought too growing up. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah. That's what we're studying to do on, <laughs> on the Pacific Islands, for sure. Yeah. In closing, what do you guys have to say to the people who think that racism is non-existent and this should be a colorblind society and everybody is the same. Everything is not a race thing. What do you have to say to those people? It, it, racism is not going away. It's the same thing when we say that we are at the verge of a new era where everything's going to be equal. We have been at the verge of it since the 1800s. You read some of the classics and, you know, uh, Yes, there was the civil war and yes, the racism had to go out after that. Martin Luther King happened and the racism was supposed to go out after that. Nelson Mandela happened. There are more than 100 revolutions that have happened over the past 300 years when racism should have gone away after that and the color of the skin would not have mattered after that. But does it go away? Not really. It's it's just so in the, in our bones now and people who are born with a particular color they live with that color and they'll always look down certain sections of the people who will always look down upon the people who have a skin color darker than theirs I don't understand it but I know it exists I see it exists amongst my peers amongst even the people who say they don't care about it or you know are not bothered by it but yes it irritates you to the core when it's like affecting you if you are at the receiving end that's when you feel bad and you know a lot of times uh, the way I think about it is that for a black person he'd have to work double hard to get like at half the place where a white person would have to get to and a lot of white people will not understand that struggle uh, if there is uh, a black boss who is supporting his black subordinates because he understands how difficult it is for them to get at that place, people will always point out that, you know, he's doing it wrong. He shouldn't be, you know, favoring favorism. Whites have had that favorism for years and years. Then why not, you know, extend the same courtesy to a black person as well? That person, I am pretty sure, had to, you know, jump 
a million hoops to get where he is or she is. But again, racism is not going away anytime soon. Like, it's here to stay. All we can do is keep educating these people that, you know, you have to stop doing this. You can't keep, you know, defining people by their color. Maybe uh, my daughter will have a different, maybe her kids will have a different, but at least for my generation, I, I kind of have a very bleak opinion on it. I agree. What about you, Cheyenne? Um, so what I would say to people that don't think racism is an issue is you definitely um, have to educate yourself. Um, and I would definitely say travel. That's a big part of, you know, having to learn about different areas. So of course, after COVID, but get out and travel, you know, um, even if it means going to a place you've never heard of, like Guam, um, and, you know, be open-minded about where you go. Um, leave all your thoughts or, you know, your predispositions about it at home. Um, actually, you know, talk to the people there or get as involved in, you know, their community if you can or if you're willing to. Um, but like, yeah, travel, that's the biggest thing for me. You have to be able to know that there's more things past the, you know, these borders that we've set up here in the U.S. and, you know, just stay educated. That's probably the, another biggest thing. You have to be able to, you know, accept other um, people and their backgrounds and what they have to say and, you know, why things are done or how they do it in their way. So, yeah. So, thank yeah. you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your experiences with whoever's going to end up watching this. Um, I really appreciate you guys being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having Thanks. me. Thanks, guys. Nice meeting you, Shan.